0: It's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Earnings season is upon us, and it is always a guessing game. But this time around, the rules have changed. Rather than worrying about whether companies will beat or miss their forecasts, now we're guessing how much money those companies will return to you, the shareholders, in the form of dividends and buybacks. Sure, there are still going to be disappointments but they're a lot less frequent. It's this delicious backdrop that prevents the market from cratering in spite of these on-again, off-again government shutdown fears, which is how we actually ended up rallying today. Dow inching up 54 points, S&P advancing 0.44%, NASDAQ gaining 0.55%. Records around here. Uh, I should also add that we had a real nice U-turn from intraday lows to the top at the end of the session. Again, NASDAQ record high. Speaking of a government shutdown, let me just say that when we have one of these Mickey Mouse shutdown fights without the threat of default, it really isn't that meaningful for the stock market itself. Don't get me wrong, it matters a whole lot to the people who need government assistance, and it's shameful. They may not get it, but for most businesses, a brief shutdown, it's just not a big deal. Your best hope is that when people people panic, they panic on news like this, and that's the opportunity. <laughs> When Washington turns out the lights, it gives you a chance to buy stocks for lower prices than where they deserve to be trading. That said, if a shutdown does cause delays in when the IRS sends its tax rebates, we might get a temporary decline in consumer spending. Again, though, another buying opportunity. Home Depot, Amazon, Kohl's, Walmart. Why? The problem is temporary. With that in mind, why don't we just go right to our game plan? Monday, we hear from Hal. That's what we always call it. You used to call it Prince Hal because I'm a big Shakespearean fan. Halliburton, the oil service company that's linked to the incredible drilling renaissance here in the U.S. I said that in honor of Will Frost, my friend. Just today, Schlumberger reported a good quarter. But some people still found issues to nitpick, and it got hammered at the opening. Spent the rest of the day trading higher, though, ultimately closing in the black. Get ready for none of that nonsense from Halliburton. They are going to blow away the numbers. After the close, Who man, we get the results from Netflix. Anything hotter than that stock? I mean, jeez, only dominoes. Now, this stock has been on fire lately, and the only problem here is that everybody already believes the quarter's going to be incredible. I've hardly ever seen Wall Street so universally positive about a stock. That means the subscriber count, the price increases, the exciting new programming, and the international signups. They all need to be better than these already elevated expectations that we've seen ratcheted up day after day. And you know what? Somehow, I think Netflix can do it. Tuesday morning, we get earnings from, get this, Verizon, Johnson Johnson, Procter & Gamble, and Travelers. I can see Verizon putting up a pretty good set of numbers, but they won't be excited. I doubt the quarter brings out many real buyers, especially not in a rising interest rate environment like we have right now, because that's making high-yielding stocks look less attractive. Have you seen this real estate investment trust and utilities lately? Procter's what I call work in progress. Now that Nelson Peltz, legendary, engaged investor, is on the board, I think that a lot of good stuff can ultimately happen, but the numbers might not be enough to satisfy those who crave instant success. J&J and Travelers are both up gigantically because they're the best at what they do. The top drug company and the best insurance company, maybe, in the world. You just have to hope that you get some kind of price break between Monday and Tuesday so you can buy either one of them. On Wednesday, I expect fantastic numbers. I am talking about maybe best in show from United Technologies. This industrial is firing on all cylinders. And you know what? We're also going to hear from Stanley Black & Decker. And I think it could be an outstanding quarter, given the robust nature of the home remodeling business, not to mention the rebuilding effort from the hurricanes in Texas and Florida, and the 20% of their business that's in Europe, which is making a heroic comeback. Ah. But there's only one quarter that anyone is going to be talking about. It's actually the only one anyone's really interested in. It's the quarter that is General Electric's. I talk to a ton of executives each week just to be prepped for this show. And the number two topic after the reign of President Trump is what the heck can CEO John Flannery do to save GE? With a horrendously weak power business that's threatening to drain precious resources, analysts are beginning to talk about the need for a gigantic equity offering so GE can raise enough cash to tide itself over while it tries to put some divisions up for sale. Last night, IBM reported what I thought was a pretty good quarter, but the analysts picked it apart over what are known as earnings quality issues, taxes, one-time gains, currency breaks. But if you think they were tough on IBM last night and Martin Schroeder, and they were, you just wait until you hear what these analysts have to say about John Flannery and the questions they put on his conference call. So I'll say this. Flannery is not without cards, even though not nah, of. Nah, not a lot of high cards in the deck there for him. Geez, aerospace business is strong with huge service revenues. The oil and gas business is getting better and can be broken up. I see buyers. Uh, the healthcare business is just fine. The power segment, well, which had grand ambitions... That are now being called into question, am I ever a diplomat, is the next hurdle now that the company claims they've dealt with their long-term care insurance liabilities with a gigantic reserve. Notice I said claims because GE dramatically underpriced its long-term care insurance many moons ago, assuming much shorter life expectancies than we have now, and it's costing them a fortune. What do I expect? GE will take a big write-down for power. We'll hear a lot of chatter about how the recently reduced dividend can even be maintained. And we'll get a sense that the company needs to find a way to raise capital pronto, just to give itself some breathing room. Thursday morning, Caterpillar reports. Ah, right, here's another company needs to put up extraordinary numbers, uh la Netflix or else the stock will give back some of its recent gains because they've been so spectacular. That's it. Cat's a major beneficiary of the weak dollar, repatriation, tax holiday, and the booming global economy, as well as the commodity prices going higher. I am praying it sells off on an inline number so you can buy it into weakness. After the close, I expect Intel to deliver a robust quarter. I think CEO Brian Krzanich will put to rest the notion that somehow his chips are so flawed that we actually need to fear use. I like the stock very much. It's down on this news. I think it'll put it to rest. We also hear from Starbucks with a stock which is once again trading above 60. If Starbucks doesn't give us a good quarter this time, I am telling you its stock will finally lose its premium price to earnings multiple slash luster. That's never a fun experience. On Friday, Darius is damn over at Honeywell Reports, and I think you'll get some information about the new Honeywell, or I should say the new two Honeywells. We'll look after the breakup. Oh, I like this breakup. I've been recommending this stock for ages. We own it from a chapel trust. You can see all we've been saying about it at, at www.actionalorsplus.com. I suggest buying part of your position before the quarter, but leave some powder dry in case it pulls back and you want some more. You know what? Here's one for you. It's what I call quizzical. We're going to be listening to the quarter from Colgate-Palmolive. Because candidly, this stock is way too strong for its recent move to be based on earnings alone. It's making no sense to me. The consumer product group is way out of favor. The numbers have been decent. They've not been incredible. Could Colgate possibly be up for sale? Is Kraft Heinz interested? Maybe Unilever. It wouldn't shock me if we find out on Friday that something else is going on besides earnings. Or they're so spectacular and they've been hidden. A potential sale being in the works makes more sense to me. This is a quandary. Why Colgate-Palmolive stock is so hot. So here's the bottom line: when you're dealing with an amazing market like this one, and can we please give it that, you need to take it company by company. Why? Because if you only look at the averages, you might be tempted to think that stocks have run up too much. But when you look at things company by company, the fact is that none of these stocks seems overstretched going into their earnings, other than maybe Netflix and Caterpillar. I think some of them will turn out to be terrific buys right here if tax reform allows them to make more money, buy back more stock, boost their dividends and tell a much more bullish story about the future. Let's go to Miles in Louisiana. Miles. Hey, Jim, just want to give you a big Eagles booyah this weekend. uh, Thank you. Thank you. you Thanks
1: for all the help you do for us, Action Alert Plus members. Uh, I want you're to get your thoughts on uh, Albemarle tickle symbol ALB after the pullback yesterday.
0: Well, you know what? Societad Chemical, which is the big lithium provider, uh, apparently has been able to It's going to start producing a lot more. Uh, Albemarle has pulled back because of that uh, on lithium story. And I've got to tell you, uh, my instincts are that it may be uh, time to take some off the table. Now you say, Jim, you didn't catch the top. Well, we've been behind Albemarle and FMC a long time. And I am concerned that we're going to catch more downgrades than we already have. Let's take a little bit off the table, I will feel better. Alex in California. Alex! Hey, Jim. Happy New Year and a big 2018 booyah. Oh, man, I'm liking that big time, and if something happens good on Sunday night, it will be proven that the year's ago went from the beginning. How can I help?
1: So I bought GM yesterday, and I wanted your thoughts about the health of the car market and the news of the bankruptcy ruling being thrown out and the not-so-nice uh, price action that I saw this week
0: and also the rise in gas prices and Ford's partnership with Domino's and how that will impact Well, you know, let's not worry about Ford. GM is a very cheap stock. I've been watching. You know, Freeport is up today big. It's almost at 20. I always think about commodities going the wrong way for the auto companies because Ford flagged that, and also, obviously, autonomous cars, a lot of money being spent there. Uh, I do think GM's cheap, and you can hold it, but they got to start boosting the dividend. They have too much cash. It's not doing enough for the shareholders. All right, this is a bountiful market. You need to be ready to approach it on a company-by-company basis, though. Stop thinking about the averages. Start thinking about the companies on Monday, on Mad Money, Costco, Netflix, Amazon. they raise my prices, please. That's right. I'm telling them, please raise my prices so they can keep giving me that level of service I love. Then the one staying in the bank group this early season, I'm talking my alma mater. we are talking Golden Sacks. What the future might hold for the company. And I'm getting into the ring with WWE. Can the company leave you up against the ropes or give your portfolio a fighting chance? So stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: In Craymarica, we love companies with pricing power, Mm -hmm. meaning companies that can raise their prices and force you to grudgingly pay them. But you know what's even better than that? When a company raises its prices and nobody cares, what do you do? Well, when you see something like that, it's about as clear a buy signal as you are ever, ever, ever ever going to get. And right now, you're getting the green light to buy a bunch of them. For instance, this morning we learned that the company uh, Amazon is increasing the monthly fee for Amazon Prime from $10.99 a month to $12.99 a month. That adds up to $156 a year. That's an 18% hike. Amazon's doing something smart. If you want to pay for the whole year up front, it still only costs $99. It's basically a tax on people who only pay month to month. More important, though, I doubt there will be any resistance whatsoever, because even at the new higher price, Amazon Prime remains an incredible value. I mean, think about it. Don't we all kind of instinctively go there when we need something? When I went to buy a dog mask <laughs> to wear, to Lincoln Financial Field where the Eagles play this Sunday, I didn't even think about it. I knew if you go to Amazon, I knew I could get the cheapest and the fastest and the best with free shipping. And that's not even going into all of Prime's terrific streaming content. Back to the story. Eagles fans are showing solidarity with their players, like the brilliant Chris Long, okay? Yeah, there's Chris right now. He's fantastic. We, have, we actually uh, do not have the same tattoos. Um, Chris donned a dog mask after last week's victory of the Falcons to show that the team doesn't take the disrespect of being the underdog lightly. Suddenly, lots of people want dog masks. Not a high-traffic item, by the way, and Amazon's got them. You're right at your fingertips. I bet most people don't even notice the price hike. That's why Amazon remains a go-to name for anyone who needs a high-growth stock to round out their portfolio. Same goes for Netflix. When Netflix raised the price of its most popular subscription to $13.99 a month back in October, there was no resistance. That's a big reason why investors keep bidding up the stock. Given that I paid $24 for two seats in a movie theater, 24 bucks for a couple of maybe lousy hours of entertainment, pre-popcorn and candy, by the way, and I'm going to cleanse, I'm thrilled to shell out a little more than just half of that to binge on quality homegrown programming with a couple of rice cakes for a whole month. And make no mistake, make no mistake, much of their original content is amazing. We all have our favorite Netflix specials. Remember, they use artificial intelligence to figure out what you might want to watch. And that means they now have a worldwide handle on what kind of shows they should produce. Got numbers Monday night. I think shareholders will be fine. I binged last weekend on The Punisher because my wife's been away forever. You seen her? I, I, I tweeted it again. I, I, where, anyone know where she is? I mean, honestly. I mean, does anyone know? Hey, you over here, you know? No one's seen her. I know where she'll be Sunday, though. Yeah, she'll be at the link. She better get back there. Anyway, that's a little off topic, but I've been missing her. I mean, how do you like that? All right, it's not just on the web. We recently got a price increase on our, own, on our Costco cards. I didn't bat an eyelash. You know, we have a his and hers Costco. I'm not going to cut off my Costco. Who knows what's going to happen? Because Costco remains among the best bargains out there for all sorts of goods. We push not one but two carts. We go separately. We through the racetrack looking for the best buys. And we often buy far more than we expected or intended to. Sometimes I go in just for the samples. I come out spending a G. Now, I often find that the house Kirkland brand is superior to the nationally branded versions. No knockoffs there, and always fast before you go to Costco so you can take advantage of every sample. I could say the same thing about Apple's cloud service to preserve my archives. The company could charge me pretty much whatever they want for me for what I regard as an essential service. After all, I've seen people literally go nuts if their phone breaks and they can't recall their precious pictures. XM caught an upgrade from Deutsche Bank today, and I found myself wondering, how much do I pay for that essential service? I don't even know. It's on autopay. I would only mind if it gets shut down, not if I have to pay more. Finally, it's not public yet, but I pay more for Spotify because I like to know what music I want, which is exactly what the artificial intelligence behind that company's brilliance tells you. I'm excited about the IPO. Although, I reserve judgment until we get more details. Still, the next time you get hit with a price increase and it doesn't bother you one bit, you need to pay up for the stock of that company in question, maybe even the next day. In every instance I just mentioned, and it will be soon, the Spotify, it's been worth it. Much more mad money ahead. Goldman Sachs just reported his first quarterly, let's say, bummer number. Well, I can call it a loss, but a little bit bookkeeping. What should you do? What should you do with the stock of the company that I worked at? I'm dissecting the latest month of action. Then, WWE's Monday Night Raw is celebrating 25 years on the air on Monday night, and it will be in Brooklyn. I'm sitting down with the company CFO to find out how its flagship program remains an industry trend and a company that works with Verizon, Visa, Starbucks, and Chase. You may have never heard of these guys. I'll reveal the name when I turn in tonight's homework. So stick with Kramer. Every now and then, we'll get an honest-to-goodness analyst smackdown where one firm upgrades the stock. Bye, bye, buy! And the other one downgrades it. Sell, sell, sell! The very same day. I love getting these dueling research reports. Because pitting the bull case for a stock against the bear case is actually a great way to get your head around the yeah, actual story, but also how to learn how stocks really work. It's a tutorial. I'm about to give you one. Sometimes, much more rarely, but sometimes the analyst committee will actually go to war with itself, with itself over a particular quarter. Some of them will like that quarter, and some of them will hate it. The result? Fog of war, pure confusion. And that's the situation right now when it comes to one of the biggest, most pristine, and Dow stock names, Goldman Sachs. My my geez. I worked there, and I've got to tell you, I found this one hard to believe. The big investment bank reported on Wednesday, and while the stock got slammed in response to its quarter full, nearly $5 in a single session in one of the greatest bullish tapes in history, The all oh, the irony, and then losing another couple of bucks yesterday before bouncing a bit today, looks like some of the insider selling run its course, the analyst community can't seem to make up its mind on whether it was a good or bad quarter. That is highly unusual, people. Normally, even if the analysts disagree about the actual company, they can usually come to a consensus about the quarter. But these results from Goldman have been incredibly divisive. And tonight, I want to take some time to unpack this for you, this really kind of wondrous situation, and explain what's really going on here, and also help you reach a conclusion. So first, let's set the scene, dragnet style. As in just the facts, man. What are the facts? Right, to put it simply, Goldman reported a definitively mixed quarter, with real pockets of strength, along with major areas of weakness. That's the root of the confusion, or the root canal, if you owned it going into the quarter. Even though the company delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, when you take the business segments one by one, it was distinctly uneven. On the one hand, Goldman's investment banking division is on fire, sales increasing by 44% year-over-year, 19% versus the previous quarter, what's known as a linked quarter. Their financial advisory business was solid, but the real strength here came from underwriting, up 76%, thanks to both bond offerings and and to some stock sales. On the other hand, Goldman's institutional client services division, the trading business, was downright horrible. Seeing its sales tumble 34% year over year and a stunning 24% compared to the previous three months. Took my breath away. There there really wasn't anything to like here. The fixed income trading and commodities trading segment was down 50% from last year. That's depressing. Equity trading was better, but still down 14% thanks to the low volatility environment. Without much volatility, traders have much less incentive to swap in and out of the positions or hedge themselves, which translates into lower commissions. So investment banking was good. Trading was not good. Unfortunately, trading accounts for 37% of Goldman's revenue, while investment banking makes up just 23%. How about the rest? All right, there's the investing and lending business, a combination private equity shop and lender. It was decent. It was up 12% from last year, but down 12% from the previous quarter. Finally, Goldman's investment management division, think asset management, was, up, was good. It's up 4% year over year, 9% from the previous quarter. So you put it all together, and you've got this confusing mix. But initially, Wall Street liked Goldman Sachs' numbers. The stock actually rallied Wednesday morning after the report. It was only after the conference call, a sobering one as it was, that it took a nosedive. It was actually intra call that it was nosediving. The problem? I'd say tepid commentary, and it uh, was disconcerting. First, CFO Marty Chavez, one of my favorites for his candor and, his, by the way, his technological brilliance, he came up from that side, computer scientist. He said the trading business, and I quote, continued to operate in a low volatility, low activity environment, end quote, which some people interpret as meaning that this has become the new normal. Bad for Goldman. Second, everyone's been salivating over how much stock the banks can repurchase thanks to the tax cut. But Chavez suggested that the buybacks will come to a at a slower pace in the first half of the year. Slower. Thirty told us that Goldman expects to have a 24% effective tax rate this year, down from 28%, but still higher than many investors were expecting. A lot of surprises here, many of them negative. The response to this confusing quarter: Well, the analysts were all over the map. Well, most of the time, with buy, uh, most of the ones with uh, buy ratings on Goldman, they either raised or maintained their price targets. J.P. Morgan cut theirs from 278 to 275. Among the firms with holds, RBC and Credit Suisse raised their targets, but KBW and BMO cut them. So uh, what what do these guys disagree on? Let's go over some of the better arguments from each camp. On the bullish side, Oppenheimer argued that Goldman's numbers were pretty impressive given the environment. In other words, they did better than you thought given how bad things are. Trading business would gradually turn around as interest rates start climbing. Again, that's happening the world over, and it's going to be good for Goldman. Basically, sooner or later, bonds will become attractive, investments again. And when that happens, this part of the business will pick up. Deutsche Bank boosted the earnings forecast. Wow, made a valuation argument, too. Stock's just too cheap relative to the other fundamentals. Sounds like something I would say. Wells Fargo argued that a turn might be in the works, especially as Goldman's management indicated the first 10 days of the new year have gone well. OK, 10 days may not a quarter make, but you know it's positive. They expect market activity to get a boost thanks to the big tax cut. That strikes me as compelling. On the more negative side, though, I didn't like this report, but it was it it was rigorous. KBW cut their numbers because of Goldman's tax guidance and its cautious buyback commentary. Plus, the trading business is, is so awful right now that they expect it will be a while before the company finds a way to offset this weakness. BMO cut their estimates, too, and they contend that other analysts will need to follow suit, including, I think, the guys who raised numbers. So where does it leave us? Look, the bears have a point. Goldman's trading business is not so hot right now. And I certainly would have liked a lower expected tax rate and an accelerated buyback. But we need to put these negatives in context. While trading is the company's largest business, it still only accounts for 37 percent of sales. And the other three divisions are all doing pretty well. Investment banking division, really in fabulous shape. They can coin money there. On top of that, I think the bears may be focused on the wrong part of the conference call when they have afraid about the low volatility, low activity environment. Why? Because CFO Chavez also told us, and I quote, there are a number of positive tailwinds that could drive uh, greater client engagement and a more expensive opportunity set. I'm sorry, expansive opportunity set. Uh, we start 2018, again, this is quoting Chavez, start 2018 with renewed optimism for accelerating growth in the U.S. and abroad. Higher interest rates and more active central banks often correlate with higher client activity, end quote. I don't know. That sounded really good to me. Even better, in response to a question about how 2018 is shaping up, Chavez said, quote, it's been a strong start to the year, definitely. If you ask me this time last year or this time this year, i take this time. Th- I take this time this year all day, end quote. Wow. What about fears of a slower buyback? Again, how about some context, people? From the beginning of 2010 through today, Goldman has retired roughly 150 million shares. That's shrinking the total by 28%. If you didn't know better, you would think they're gradually taking themselves private. So when they say they're only going to purchase only, repurchase $5 to $6 billion worth of stock this year, down from $6.72 billion last year, it's not the end of the world. Plus, it's not like they're slowing down the buyback by choice. Goldman took a huge accounting charge in the fourth quarter to get out ahead of the new tax code. And because of how the banks are regulated, that means they're not allowed to spend as much money on buybacks. I get it. But if new Fed chairman Jerome Powell decides to be more lenient with the banks, and I think that's certainly likely, then Goldman might be able to repurchase more stock than we think. Finally, the stock is the cheapest I've ever seen it, particularly against his colleagues. Goldman sells for just I found this to be staggering because it's always been the premium place on Wall Street. You know, it sells for just over 10 times next year's earnings estimates. It trades like a car company. Um, That puts it at a 45% discount to the S&P 500. It trades at 1.5 times its tangible book value, cheaper than any other major financial other than Citigroup. Like I've said before, this has become a value stock. And I think it's absolutely worth buying right here. Whenever Goldman's results hit an air pocket, it always finds a new way to make money. My suggestion to to, uh, CEO Lloyd Blankfein, let's accept that cryptocurrencies are here to stay and own that market, offering worldwide hedges on the most volatile commodity trading since the tulip craze. Bottom line, Wall Street may be confused about how Goldman Sachs did this quarter. I'm not. When you take a deep breath and analyze the quarter rationally, get off the desk Look at it empirically. The company's got a lot going for it. And many of the worries to me seem totally overblown, which is why I recommend picking up some shares right at the opening Monday and then waiting for a further pullback to buy more on the way down. Why don't we start with Joe in Nebraska? Joe! Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good, Joe. How about you?
2: Not bad, not bad. Hey, I must tell you, I watch your show a lot. I love it, and I admire your energy level.
0: Oh, thank you, man. I'm coming to play. Not as good as the <laughs> Eagles, but I'm coming to play.
2: <laughs> well, that's good. I'm for the Eagles, too. Thank you. Hey, my my uh, question's on uh, TD Ameritrade. Uh, I, I kind of feel like maybe with interest rates uh, edging up or perhaps going to edge up further. That might be constructive, so I, I wanted to see what your opinion, Joe. Was. The
0: answer is, buy, buy, buy. I think it's one of the perfect stocks for this particular environment, especially because I see a lot of individual investors coming back in to stocks. I think it's a great call. Thank you for the uh, energizing. And I got to tell you, we got Brian Dawkins, we got uh, Westbrook coming in this weekend. Those are sources. Those are power plants, John and Utah John. Hello, Big Jim, first-time caller, Johnny Utah, Viva Brooklyn. Uh, I've been cost-averaging the stock market since 88. Okay. Well-disciplined, and uh, what i like to know is I'm strictly bottom-feeding right now because I refuse to chase momentum. How do you feel about the spreadsheet and your outcome on Santander Bank slash Banco Popular? Okay, so this is a good one. Both my uh, father-in-law... And my writing partner, Matt Horween, are attracted to the stock. I am, too. I almost was going to put it in the ActionAlertsPlus.com bullpen. Wanted to see a little more about how it's doing. I think bye, bye, bye. S-A-N. And I'm glad they changed that. I didn't like that old symbol they have. What was it? STD. That made no sense for a great bank like Bungle on Don't let Wall Street's confusion on Goldman Sachs fool you. It's got a lot going for it in the next pullback. Look at this. Bye bye bye. Yes, I'm choosing sides. Bunch more mad money ahead. I'm going to the mat with WWE CFO to see if the stock can continue its upper momentum after a 70% move higher over the past year. Then, good news if the dog (laughs) ate your homework with the exception of NVIDIA, who was a dog out of hell today. I did the homework for you. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. And of course, it's Friday. A look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer.
2: Finding out of Inglewood Cliffs by way of Philadelphia. Entering the ring with just two hours of sleep. The Prime Minister of Far Value... The Baron of the Balance Sheet, Jimmy,
0: the Cash Man, Kramer. You know, you got to break the mold and do this stuff because you know I love these guys because this is a great story to tell. And if I may say also, it's good to be right. Less than 10 months ago, I came out here and told you that World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, a company that I had not liked that much, candidly, was ready to rumble. company that brings you WrestleMania and Monday Night Raw was in the midst of a difficult but major transition, shifting from a pay-per-view model for its premium content to a more stable subscription model, but also, frankly, lots of other ways to make money. Sure enough, the stock has caught fire, climbing over 50% since then, thanks in part to the phenomenal quarter WWE delivered late last October. I know the professional wrestling may not be for everybody, but it has just a huge global audience, and the company keeps figuring out better and better ways to monetize all those viewers. So can the stock keep soaring like a wrestler off the top rope? Or is there a chance it could get body slammed? We don't know. Let's talk with George Barris, He's the CFO of WWE. To learn more about his company's transformation and where it is headed, Mr. Barris, welcome to Mad Money. Good to yeah, see you, sir. You for having us. Good to see you. Well, you know
1: what? Who says that professional wrestling isn't for everybody?
0: Well, you're right. Strauss Zelnick, who
1: is the CEO of yeah. Take Two, said
0: it's only for the people who would say that they don't like it because they haven't been.
1: I, that's what I like all to right? hear. Next, I'll tell you in a couple of months, I'm going to Mumbai. You're coming with me. By the way, I just got
0: back from Mumbai. You, right. You're
1: there too, of course. Well, but you're also going
0: to be about five blocks from me on Monday night. Tell me what's happening.
1: Yeah, it's look. It gets to what you were talking about—the more, more recent transformation. The reality is, Vince McMahon has transformed this company multiple times, and, and one of the biggest uh, markers of that will be celebrating our 25th uh, anniversary of Monday Night Raw. It's amazing. It started January 11th, 1993. <laughs> At the Manhattan Center, okay. I watched. Uh, 25 years later, now we're going to have Monday Night Raw from two locations. Barclays, great uh, in building Brooklyn. In, Brooklyn. in Brooklyn. And we're going to also have it at the same time at, uh, at the Manhattan Center to relive those old days. So well, it's cool. Really congratulations. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting. There's this thing going on about where Amazon is going to put headquarters. Okay.
0: What happened when you guys went to Orlando? How much money did
1: you pump into that economy? Jeez, we, every time we go to a, a market with Ref, WrestleMania, it's somewhere between fifty and seventy-five million dollars. People a year. don't know that. That's been, a Super Bowl wherever you go. Look, you Google Forbes top sports brands, right? Just right, Google it right, right, right now. Right, right. We're either four, five, or six every single year with the Super Bowl, the Olympics, Wrestlemania is right there. Yes, yeah, so it's but an amazing event. I want you to talk about the transformation. Admittedly, I was a doubter initially because I didn't see it coming. But,
0: boy, were you ever smart about it. A one-of-a-kind media company executing successful transformation. You've got to talk
1: about the likes. You've got to talk about the, the, your social media The number globally because yep. the numbers are staggering here. Yeah, so, I mean, let's talk about broader context. Right. Vince McMahon buys the business 35 years ago. It is a northeast touring ticketing business. Right. That's it. Right. right? Ten years later, it's touring across the U.S. Another ten years, it's a global media company. And today, we're one of the leaders in digital, social, and direct-to-consumer. So, yeah, when you look at WWE, we've got 850 social media followers. Uh, it, more than it, any who, sports I was brand say, Does in the anyone world? else have that? Okay. Number two sports channel in the history of YouTube. Right? Number one sports Wait. channel. Number two channel overall. So, right. number one sports channel. Number two overall. We've done 1.2 billion engagements. Crazy stat. Yeah. 2010, we did 500 million video views on the internet. Okay. 20 billion this year. 20 billion? 20 billion. So 40 times where we were in the last eight years. You know, This brand is so much larger than the stock price is
0: the way I look at it. Yep. One of the reasons why we wanted to get in front of it is because we said, just uh, if you just go global, if you just think about your uh, how you, or your merchandise, if you think about all the different
1: ways that you have figured out how to get in front of people and pay, they pay because you're a loved brand. Yeah. Well, look to the monetization. Back in 2008 or so, we we're doing 450 million dollars. We agree under monetized. Right. We retooled the company. I mean, when you were unfavorable back in 13, 14, that's what we were doing. We right. were re-engineering the next uh, wave of growth. We're now up to about 800 million, so we've seen about 70% growth since 2008. Uh, and we think there's a lot more runway, uh, a lot more runway. Content, continued global growth, and the directed consumer digital has turned us into a data powerhouse. We'll talk about that because you're the only company I know
0: that yeah. actually has an ecosystem in sports. You have a lot of companies that have something to do, but they're owned by you know it's the TV networks play sure. they don't play too much, record, uh, or, or you know they can't sell enough seats, so they don't know how to monetize the web, so they give it away. You've sliced and diced it in every, and you make money for everybody.
1: Well, you. You hit it. And the slicing and dicing, you know, we call it tiering the content. Right, right. A lot of people take the content and put it all over this, all the different yes, platforms, yes. and it cannibalizes, right. right? What we do is we say we're going to have certain content for pay television, five hours live every week, We're yes. on smackdown, 260 hours a year. Then we're going to create about 600 hours for YouTube, Facebook, our own and operated different content. Right. And then we're gonna do about three, 400 hours on our direct-to-consumer network to super serve our most passionate fans. So all those different platforms, different content. That's why it raises all boats. All right, one last question.
0: Uh, there are people who think that even the most pristine sports, NFL, fatigue. I do not see fatigue developing
1: with WWE. I see acceleration right here. Yeah, look, we have this unique element. I, I was t- talking about India. So India is the number one country in terms of consuming WWE video in the world. Was that possible? Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you why it's possible. Two things. First, storytelling. You went to Harvard, right? I'm sure English Smart lit, yeah, English lit yeah. class. You read yeah, Shakespeare. Joseph my Campbell. Guy. Not Shakespeare. Joseph Campbell wrote The Monomyth, The my, Hero's my Journey. Loves, my daughter loves Joseph Campbell. Amazing. Yeah. Right? He said every culture throughout human history tells stories the same way, right. heroes, enemies, overcome. So John Cena, Katniss Everdeen, Luke Skywalker, it's the hero's journey. Right. The second thing is our sport centers around the ring. It's the simplest thing. Right. Everyone right. understands it. That's why India is our number one market in terms of consumption. Well, look, I want to congratulate you. I didn't I didn't become a believer. It took me too long. But yeah. thank
0: heavens I got people in ahead of time right. for the big move. All right, that's George Barris, he's the CFO of WWE. It's a real story. It, it is still very, very early. Man, money's back in. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Guys, it's time for the lightning round. case about to start with Chris in New Jersey. Chris. Hey, Jim, Mondelez has been on the move. Is it time to get in? I think the stock is inexpensive, and the group is starting to get a couple bids underneath. I think that you would do it far worse than buying Ah. Mondelez. Let's go to Will and that's just... Will!
2: Hey there, Jim. Um, I'm new to stocks, and I wanted to know what your thoughts were on AU Optronics. Okay, if you're new and you
0: don't want to buy a Taiwanese company, you start. You want to buy in that area. You want to buy Cisco. Chuck Robbins is redoing everything, getting Cisco before the quarter. Jim in Arizona. Jim. Booyah, Jim. Big fan here. Of course, been a viewer for years.
1: My question is regarding ticker symbol PBI, Pitney Bowes. Uh, we got to get Mark Gordon the- back, back on. We had him
0: on. I'm not sure about the company. I'm not sure about the dividend. I need to do more work, but I can only do it with the help of him. Barry in New York. Barry. Booyah, my Eagles brother. You betcha, partner. What's going on? Well, being I can't buy any equities in Carson Wentz's AO1 Foundation. I was hoping to add the Mitsubishi Financial Group ticker to my You know what? You actually should do police. that. I've been working on Japan, and that is a great way to play Japan. I'm going to endorse that. I need to go to David in Connecticut. David. Booyah, Jim. yeah, David.
2: Hey, got a quick question. Everybody was talking about Delta. I'm wondering about JetBlue. JetBlue's okay. I'm actually talking about
0: Southwest. My travel trust should not have sold it. Had a game. The lesson on the table, if if, uh, Love comes back next week and reports, that's the one to be in. Let's go to Lisa in New York. Maybe it's Lisa. Lisa. Hi, Jim. A
2: Long Island booyah to you.
0: Okay, we'll take that any day of the week. My
2: stock is a medical genomic testing company in Vitae, symbol NVTA. After a merger with Combat Matrix, the stock was doing really well. Right after they presented at the J.P. Morgan Health Conference, it dropped 30%. Right. Please tell me your opinion on the company.
0: You know, we looked at this company a while back when I put together this incredible, uh, you know, it was actually a... Really kind of interesting thing I did for the Street Biotech Bible, and I have to update that because I got to get the presentation from what they did and I will make a judgment then. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: FOMO is happening! I am the only person to be able ever say that. Let's go to Jim in Englewood Cliffs. Jim! Oh, that's me. And at the soporific risk of sounding like Dr. Seuss, I like this rally, Sam I am. For companies to rebuild our company. Our co- uh, companies. But let's start with a tweet from Sweet Lou, no doubt we're referring to Sweet Lou Pinella, at Workday Baseball. Holy cow, you're ta- you're dating me, sir. You know that. <laughs> yeah, both of us. Uh, here's my five. Bank of America, Schlumberger, Floor, well, I got to tell you, here's another guy who seems to know what the heck he's doing. Now that glorious 2018 is well underway, it's time to catch up on some homework. Every night I take your calls, but once in a while I can't answer a question. Whenever that happens, we always circle back, do some research, only give you a reasoned opinion, or at least our best reasoned opinion. So let's get started. On November 20th, David in Florida asked us about Macquarie Infrastructure Corp., MIC. I used to know these guys real well. It's a subsidiary of the big Australian investment bank group. Uh, Macquarie is, well, it's a company that invests in big infrastructure projects. With steady long-term uh, projects, I always remember just doing turnpikes. They operate airports, bulk liquid exports, uh, import terminals, processing distribution, some power plants. Well, the first thing that jumped out at me here, Macquarie infrastructure has a gigantic 8.9% yield. Now, typically, that size of a yield, well, let's just say that, our, my friends, is a red flag. It means the dividend is probably likely to be cut, not increased. Throw in the fact that high-yielding stocks tend to fall out of favor in periods where interest rates are rising. You can understand why Macquarie Infrastructure lost 21% of its value last year. Yeah, down 21% in a pretty good year. That said, though, the fundamentals are solid, and the dividend is well covered by the cash flow. I don't think it's going to get cut. In fact, I'm betting that much of the weakness here is because some investors don't understand what the company actually does. They kind of think it's like one of those pipeline master limited partnerships, but really it has a lot more in common with utilities. It's a safe, consistent business. And if people really are selling it because they're worried about Macquarie's energy exposure, the recent rebound in oil ought to make them feel more comfortable. My view? Now, I don't think this is a great time to go chasing after high-yield stocks, but If you absolutely need some income from your investments, I think you do a lot worse than Macquarie Infrastructure. It's a good company. It is. Next up on November 28th, Ken, in my home state of Pennsylvania, wanted to know about USA Technologies. We call it USAT. Sounds like a company that makes American flags, right? But in reality, USA Technologies is a payment processing play. They help manage secure cashless transactions for self-serve retail, meaning vending machines or point-of-sale terminals. You operate on your own. In short, they're a payment processor for historically cash-based industries, and payment processors have been red hot. Now, I like the space in general, and USA Technologies has some excellent partnerships. But I think you need to be very careful, because this is a super speculative small-cap stock, and it has run up dramatically in the last few months. While USA Technologies has been around for more than 25 years, the company fizzled during the dot com bubble. And then the stock spent many years hovering in the low single digits. But recently, the company seems to have turned itself around. USA Technologies is growing rapidly again, expected to generate nearly 40% sales growth this year, and it's on the verge of turning a profit. This turn has allowed the stock to come back from the dead. Bye, bye, bye! A year ago, it was a $4.30 stock. Now it's at nine and change, a double. The company even held a secondary offering in July. Get this, it was priced at 450. dollars Can you imagine how much money you made if you bid on that one? A phenomenal gain. But I've got to tell you, at these levels, well, I feel like we've missed it. It seems a little risky for me. I know Blackhawk Networks, another company in the payment space, recently caught a takeover bid, which makes the entire group more attractive. Still, USA Technologies is a tiny $500 million company that's not yet profitable, which makes it difficult to value. Given that the stock more than doubled last year, I worry that we missed the move. I say pass, but... Intriguing. Finally, just before we went on the holidays on December 18, Brian in Michigan called about Iridium Communications. I've opined about this at various times, uh, and uh, candidly, I don't like it that much. It's uh, satellite-based mobile communications and data play. Now, there are a lot of areas where uh, satellite-based phones make a ton of sense. Ships, airplanes, emergency services, national defense, any application where you might not be within range of a terrestrial cellular network, mountain climbing. But I have to tell you, as a business, I'm not a big fan of the satellite plays in general, or Iridium in particular. Iridium has slow, low, single-digit revenue growth, nothing to get super excited about. At the same time, the company's in the middle of launching its next generation of satellites. Once they're all up there, Iridium's margins can expand, and its earnings will likely grow. However... There are many things that can go wrong here, and I've seen a lot of people get burned by satellite plays in the past. Suppose one of those rockets they use to get their satellites into space ends up exploding. It's happened before. You won't like the results. That said, there's a lot of negativity here. 23% of Iridium's shares are currently sold short. Normally, that would make me feel more positive, as a high short interest can often be a coiled spring. But with the stock only a few cents away from its all-time highs, I'm not interested. Uh, you know what? I prefer to you to be in Sirius Satellite. I think that Sirius is making a real move here. I say swap out of Iridium and go into Sirius. And stick with Craig. Great- probably wondering why I'm wearing that and if you really are wondering will you give me a break okay next we got Netflix going to kick things off Monday I think it's going to be great but more important if it isn't great the stock is going to go down Wednesday all eyes on General Electric we're going to look for a very big charge we're going to see whether they need to do an equity offering we're going to try to understand how they're going to pull the company apart if they are indeed and we're going to be looking for cash flow analysis Caterpillar is probably the most wild one we have of the week because it's up the most on the same set of numbers I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you after the game on Monday.